0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 14th of June 2015, entitled, The Grace of Giving, Part 2. And the Bible readings are taken from 1 John, chapter 3, verses 16 to 24, and 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, verses 1 to 7. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, if you'd like to just put your finger there for a moment and turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. We have... We looked at these portions of Scripture last week, and we continue to look there today as we think on the simple thought of the grace of giving. We don't often tie those two things together, grace and giving. But as we begin to look in Scripture's... I trust that you'll see that beautiful picture as we look through the Word of God. First of all, if you'd like to stand with me to honor the reading of God's precious, holy, preserved Word, beginning first of all in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, the Word of God says, hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath the world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, And shall assure our hearts before him, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave his commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him. And Hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. And then, if you look into 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the reading begins there, says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us. By the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. Father, we thank you for your word that we have before us. Lord, now as we begin to look here today, we know, Lord, that Lord, your word contains that which is so totally limitless. It is a knowledge that is beyond all knowledge. Lord, the depths of it are beyond our complete comprehension because, Lord, we have simple, finite minds and, Lord, we realize that Your word comes from infinite knowledge, that infinite mind, that infinite power. But Father, as we look here today, we are totally dependent upon you. We are well aware of our humanness, of our limitations. We're well aware of our failings and our shortcomings. And Father, better than we ourselves, you know each and every one of us today, Lord, you know our greatest need. And, Father, we pray today that as our hearts are tuned towards you, Lord, I pray not for the words of man, not for the knowledge of man, but I do pray earnestly by the power of your Spirit that you would open your word to us today and give us that which is beyond man, that, Lord, which would not just affect us at this time and moment, but would affect us for all of eternity. Speak to hearts as only you can. May we, Lord, truly not only listen, But may we respond in whatever way that we need. For it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. For those of you that may not have been here the past few weeks, then I can only say I'm sorry because we're picking up in the midst of something that we have been looking on because at this time each year, we do try to turn our focus. And I say as the pastor of this congregation, that I'm truly proud not just of you, But I'm proud of the God that works through you and what he's done through you. That even in our small congregation that we can have an impact around the globe in giving to others of our looking outwards and not inwards at our own needs. You can look around today and you know that we've presented to you even in recent times. We have some tremendous jobs before us here in our own church. We have some very expensive undertakings that must be taken on to keep up these facilities. But the moment that we begin to look at ourselves and our needs and what I want and what I have to have rather than all those out there, then I believe that those needs will never be met as they ought to be. But I believe with all of my heart that if we can put into practice... You see, we began a few weeks back and we looked at this idea of just why is it important... Why is our reaching into our community, reaching into our city, reaching around the world with the love of Christ? Why is that important? We look today that I say this not critically, but that so many of us and our churches are looking inward. We looked after that. We looked in the book of Revelation as we looked at the seven churches there of Revelation. And we talked about the crisis that is in the church today. And as we follow through those churches, we see all kinds of things that were going wrong. But it all began when they turned from their first love. You see, we begin, We can begin to put all these things together, and we we can't possibly look at all of it, all that God has to say about it. We begin to understand why that. The Bible talks about it being more blessed to give than to receive. We begin to understand what he's talking about when he's talking about not money, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And I've begun, and it was amazing that in those things leading up, because God had laid upon my heart because the message that we're looking at here today and last week were messages that normally I would have preached leading up to our missions conference rather than afterwards. But I knew with absolute certainty that God was dealing with the heart of this preacher. <laughs> that with me and each and every one of us, the problem is not our giving. The problem is our loving. <laughs> the problem comes back to the heart. It always comes back to the heart. When we think about giving. <laughs> people have lots of different ideas. So many times when we think of, we've looked at these things of how that possessions and the things of this world can begin to mean more to us you know as we read there in first john that i mean we, we could probably spend the next year and not begin to grasp all that god is saying to us there here's how we perceive here's how we know the love of god how can we know it see it experience it Because he loved you so much that he laid down his life for you. You can know that God loves you. Because he showed it with the greatest gift he could give. Himself. And he says that just as we can see and know the love of God because he was willing to lay down his life for us. That we ought to be willing to show our love for the brethren by being willing to. To make the ultimate sacrifice if it came to it. For me to lay down my life for you and vice versa. You see, you can talk about love. But that is the ultimate show. The ultimate act of love. And he goes on to say, well, if God loved you that much and you can see his love in that way that he laid down his life for you, how can anybody? that has this world's goods, the possessions, the things of this world? How can he possibly, with those things, see his brother in need and close up his bowels of compassion, not care, how can he dare say that the love of God dwells in him? If God loves so much that he's willing to lay down his life, how can we be so attached to my possessions and what I have in this world? And you know, that's not something you have to learn That is our flesh. We see it in those little children. I mean, as soon as they can begin to hold on to attachments, you try to take their toy. That's their toy. It's mine. It becomes natural. And in our flesh, that is natural. But he's trying to show us here. And he's telling us, forget about all these words of talking about, I love you, I love you, I love you. Forget about simply saying it, but do something about it. Show it. Let me see your love in your deeds and your actions, not just in the words that you speak. And he was on. (laughs) He says, here's how we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Do you remember... Do You remember I shared with you last week the experience of the great evangelist John Wesley and how that as he began, as he began his ministry and he stepped out by faith and he was living on a limited income and year by year by year by year, as God blessed and God increased and that income grew, he still lived on the same thing that he began living on that first year and he gave everything else to God. Do you know one of the questions he used to ask when he'd go into the many churches of Methodism that started through his ministry, and he'd go into those assistants, and he's wanting to know how that these new converts were progressing? He said, how has it begun to affect their possessions, their giving? Has it begun to show in their actions? We find that the Lord is telling us here, you know, the problem comes down is when our heart condemns us. People are always going to. I, I was talking with somebody this week, and I said, that's one of, the, one of the great things that a pastor has to learn is that no matter what he does, no matter what it is, somebody's going to condemn him. <laughs> it's going to please some, and it's going to displease others because everybody doesn't think the same. Everybody doesn't want the same. You know, ultimately, it's not important You see, it comes down to even, we can ask ourselves, why are we here in church today? Why are we here in this worship service? Because so many times, again, it all gets turned around. People go to church or look for a church for what the church can do for them. How's it going to make me feel? What is it going to do for my children? What is it going to do for me rather than... What am I going to do for others? (laughs) What can I give? What can I give to this body of people that will be a blessing to them? What can I do that will glorify God in my life? And I promise you today that if you come here to be a blessing to others, to show your love, not just say it, then you'll receive blessings beyond measure that you will never, ever, ever see or experience if you're just here for what it will do for you. He's saying, you know, whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and because we do those things that are pleasing in his sight. You see, we keep coming back. And the emphasis that we've said all this time is it really comes down to What's going on in here? Because you see, in these weeks and today, I'm not here. What I'm trying to get you to do for the cause of getting Jesus to this world, it's not that I'm wanting to get you to give more of what you have. I hope. And you say, I can't make you do this what we really need to to do is inspect ourselves and what is it that really matters? What is it that I really love? Who is it that I, is it our heart that condemns us? Or is it our heart that literally is pleasing before God? He tells us the first step is to believe on the son of God, believe on Jesus Christ. That's always the first. We can't be a part of what God is doing if we don't belong to God. And there's no point in going any further. We don't need to worry about these principles of giving that God gives us in his word if we don't have Jesus in our heart. And you know what? He says that it's impossible for this physical, fleshly man to understand the spiritual things of God. We sang earlier, Christ liveth in me. And that's what he said. That's how hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. Is Christ really living in us today? He said, don't dare. Go saying that that's Christ living in you, that that's God in you. If you don't really care. If those actions aren't there. Money. Possessions. They can very easily, said earlier, it's not the money, it's the love of money. It's when it gets the wrong priority, the wrong place in our lives. read an article, and it was actually in a secular newspaper, not in some Christian periodical. It was in a secular newspaper that told of this man that from the time that he had started working, he had started what my dad used to say about my mom, he used to squirrel money back <laughs> She'd always take some money out of her paycheck and she'd squirrel it back. She'd hide it away like a squirrel does his nuts for the winter. <laughs> but this guy was had a very selfish attitude. He wasn't just squirreling money back for a rainy day, but he was saving and saving in the hopes of, of building up and having more and having more. And he spent his whole life working and, and saving up this money that he kept sticking under his mattress and hiding away in these places and... When it came to the point for him to die, he had a request of his wife. We've all heard the saying, you can't take it with you. Well, he was determined that he was going to take it with him. He was determined. And so he told his wife, he called her in when he was almost ready to leave this world. He said, said, I want you to make me one promise. I want you to promise me. That when I die and you put me in that coffin and you stick me in that grave, that you take all that money that I've worked for and you put it in there with me so that it goes with me. He died. She had to honor her promise, but she thought, hmm, that money's not really safe laying around like that. So she took all of his money, she took it down to the bank, she deposited it in the bank, she wrote a check and put the check in the coffin with him. (laughs) He took it with him. I don't think she had to worry about uh, that uh, check ever being cashed, but that's about the closest you'll get to taking it with you from this world. It's an uncashed check. Or the other story I read, this kind of shows that, you know, it's not only you, but two guys were deserted on this desert isle. They were stranded, they didn't have anywhere to go and they had no help, they didn't know what they were gonna do. And the one guy was just absolutely worried sick. The other guy just seemed to be totally relaxed. I said, what's wrong with you? How are we going to get out of here? He said, you don't understand. He said, do you realize that I make $100,000 a week in my business? And he said, I tithe off of every penny of that. He said, that's $10,000 a week that's going into my church. Believe me, my pastor will find me. (laughs) Sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes. Our motives can be for all kinds of reasons, and sometimes (laughs) our money can affect other people around us. But I shared with you that it was Jim Elliott, the missionary that gave his life in South America, that made the statement, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain. What he cannot lose. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, this principle of loving enough, and that's really what I want to, 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 to ask you to, to ask yourselves what is it that you really love in this world? Because you see, what we see taking place in the writings to the church at corinth which we looked at that last week as we began to talk about this fact that you know it's over and over and over in there that he wants us to see the grace of god that was bestowed that was given that was showed up on this church of macedonia he's saying to the church at corinth i want you to see how god's grace worked on that church at macedonia What does grace mean? Grace is something that you can't take credit for. You're saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only God's grace. You don't become a Christian because you deserve it, because you live better than somebody else, because you do better than somebody else. It's God's unmerited favor. (laughs) You have to come to recognize that you can't do it, that only God can. And in essence, that's what he's saying that happened in this church. This was something because he goes on to to explain there that, you know, they did everything to their power. They did all that they could do. They had done all of this, you know, actions. They weren't just loving indeed, but they were loving with what they had. The problem was they didn't have a whole lot. He says this happened out of their deep poverty, which means literally. So deep that we're talking about poverty here to the tune of not knowing where your next meal is coming from. These people had nothing. They did everything that they could, but he says beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. It was what God was doing through them that they could not do themselves. It was what God was doing, not because they deserved it, but that God himself would receive the glory. And so God did this. And we see that practice there. There's so many things that I wish that I could share with you from that, but really what I want to bring you back to that we've looked at a number of times over the years, you know, for God's work to take place, it requires people. That was what they gave first of all. They first gave themselves. We talked last week, we won't go back there. (laughs) You know, that when God truly gets you, He has all of you, and he has everything. Much of the stewardship, the whole idea comes down to whether we're doing it with what I have or what God has blessed me with. Does it belong to God, or does it belong to us? He needs people, prayer, possessions, the power, the energy, the ability to be able to do it. How do we do that which is within our power? How do we put this love into action? Well, see, there again... The first way is what we call first fruits, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time there because we've talked about it. And the simple truth is, is that the first fruits is something that is the most important. It has first place. We talked some time back as we were looking through our Genesis account. You know, it's amazing the very first act of worship that we see in the scriptures was Cain and Abel coming to bring their gifts to God. <laughs> That was their act of worship. Not in getting, but in giving. God has given everything. He's given us life. He's given his life that we might know life for all of eternity. He's given us everything. We find that the first fruits. You see, some people say, Ah, tithing was just an Old Testament. Well, you know, now, the tax man trusts you so much. (laughs) That he goes after your first fruits before you even get a chance. He gets his part before you get yours, usually. <laughs> he takes it off the top. Well, under the Old Testament, tithing was kind of like that because they had a theocracy. They didn't have the government. It was because they kept wanting a king that God eventually gave them a, a king. But that's not where tithing began when it was part of their taxation system. It began with Abraham. That's the first time it's mentioned. Tithing, 10%. Do I got to give 10% to be a Christian? Do I got to? No, you don't have to do anything. God's not selling you salvation. You're not going to get on his better side. I will tell you this, though whether or not he gets your first fruit shows what place he really has in your heart. Forget all the words about saying that he has first place, of saying that he has the right place in your life. If he does, you see, he doesn't want you to give grudgingly. He tells you that. He doesn't want you giving, wishing that you didn't have to, that you didn't want to. He wants you to love so much that giving flows out of you. I heard a preacher say one time that there's different kinds of giving. There's flint giving. All of you seen a flint where you've got to take a stone or a hammer, and you've got you to bang on that flint in order to get the spark to come out. He said, that's what some people have to be banged over the head in order to give. <laughs> Well, he said, some is like a sponge. You know, a sponge, you've got to squeeze it. You know, it it could be full of water, but you've got to squeeze it in order to get anything out of it. He said, some people have to be squeezed to get them to give. But he said, the beauty is when you see the honeycomb givers. When the honeycomb, you don't beat it, you don't squeeze it. It's just so full that it just flows out. It just flows out. The honey just flows out of that comb. You see, that's that's what God wants from us. He's not trying to get you, I'm not trying to get you to give something that you want to hold on to for yourself. You hold on to everything you want to hold on to. What I wish is this, that you could be so in love with God. Why do we talk about the tithe? Because everything in the Bible is proportional. You don't have to give what the person that makes more or less. The only proportion we find in there is the tithe, 10%. And it's not always just one. I'm not saying to you today that you've got to tithe in order to be a Christian or to be right with God. I'm just saying, hey, if God doesn't get your first fruits, I wouldn't go around proclaiming too loudly that you love God so much he has the first place in your life. (laughs) If your personal possessions and what you have means more to you than God does. You see, the first fruits is something that comes off the top. And it was there well before the Old Testament law made it part of it. God chose a people. Giving was there right from the the first act of worship recorded in Scripture. The first time we hear a tithe mentioned is when Abraham was called out. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, which the Bible itself teaches us in Hebrew, that he was a type of Christ. Abraham brought a tithe. 10% of everything that he had to give to God because he loved God. Not because we don't find any commandment that he had to do that. Now, when it became law, under the law, they did have to. They had to give three of them. But then, after the law, the period of grace, giving didn't stop in the New Testament. Jesus Christ himself commended it. And so I'm just saying the the first act that you can do If you really love God and if you really care for the others out there that don't have Christ, then I'm saying it ought to begin with our first fruits. God ought to really get what's on the top, not what's left over. I find that so many times it's a lot easier to say than it is to do. We find that one illustration that I read, which I thought kind of kind of brought this home with the first fruits and whatnot, was a guy that was a farmer and he had a cow and he was a Christian and that cow gave birth to two new calves. One was a red one and one was a white one. And he came into the house and he was all excited, honey, honey. We didn't just get one calf. There was two calves that were born. Wow. He said, you know what we're going to do? He said, we're going to raise them up. We're going to feed them good. We're going to get them to the point that they're as strong as they could be. And he said, we're going to sell them. And he said, what we get out of the one, we're going to give to the Lord. And what we get out of the other one, we're going to keep for ourselves. He says, she says, well, which one's the Lord's and which one's ours? He said, oh, that doesn't matter right now. He so said, we're going to treat them both the same. Few months later, they've been doing that. Treat Biddleup. He come in, his head was all down. He says, "Honey, he said I got bad news for you." He said, "The Lord's cow died today." (laughs) The Lord's cow died. She said, "The Lord's cow," (laughs) said, "I didn't think you decided. Oh, I decided which one it was, and it was the white one. He's the one that died. The Lord's cow died." (laughs) So many times (laughs) that is our idea of first fruits. As long as there's plenty left over. He gets it, but his is the first to go, when something has to go. I'm saying to you today, folks, you know, I don't want you to do anything. I just want you to love God so much. I want you to be so in love with him and how he loved you that just as we see here, that it's not just a bunch of, of religious words and ceremonies for us that is seen in our actions because we genuinely care for each other and for that world out there that it comes through in our actions. I do not believe for a moment that you can give to God more than he can give back to you. The Bible teaches us that principle over and over and over. But you see, it's not just the first fruits. It's the free will offerings. You say, preacher, what's the difference? Well, we find that if we look back in the book of Exodus, that in that particular case, it was a time when that there was a specific work that needed to be done for God. And God's people were the ones that were being called upon because it was God's work. You know, it's the wrong thing for us to expect the world. But we find that... God himself, God himself, he put us first. And when we put him first, you see, before that, before that we can get involved in free will offerings, that's just, again, it's not something you're commanded to do. It's something you do of your own free will, but you first got to be involved in giving God the first fruits. You see, if I mention the name today, J.D. Rockefeller. How many have heard that name before? You see, J.D. Rockefeller was the founder, the owner of Standard Oil, which at the time when it came early in the last century, it was the largest conglomerate business in all the world. There's a lot of things that you could read about J.D. Rockefeller, but here's a statement that he made. Some say it's just not good practices to give to the Lord. And you have your own needs. Rockefeller said, I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars if I had not tithed my first salary, which was a dollar and fifty cent per week. Do you know that J.D. Rockefeller, even though he was a Christian, he gave ten percent of everything to his church. He was faithful in his church, he gave to his church. But it's something like I think it was 53 years of age. He had built this kingdom, and he was worth all these millions, and yet he was still so unhappy. We find that it was at that age, that though he had always given his 10%, that he began to set up his foundations. That he began to give like he had never, ever given before. We find that he gave so much that when he set up his foundation, he put something like, $10 10 million dollars in there to start with and they gave out of that for 20 or 30 years and, and and then they had 40 million in there. He couldn't outgive God. And from the time he was 53 when he had gotten down so physically and mentally that he thought he was going to die. He said it was the last half of his years cuz he lived to be 90 some that he really enjoyed life because no longer was it the money that he was working for. It was the money he was using for the Lord. J.L. Craft, founder of Crafts, Rockefeller gave 10% Craft, gave 25% of everything that he ever, ever earned for Christian causes. Anthony Rossi. Anybody ever heard that name? Rossi was a 21 year old immigrant from Sicily that arrived in New York. He had no money. He had no friends. He knew nobody. He had absolutely nothing. He began to work. He began to work. He began to save. He went off to the Navy. He came back. He was in debt. He ended up buying a little farm. I think it was a tomato farm to start with and later an orange farm down in, in Florida. And from that, most of us probably haven't walked through the supermarkets without seeing the number one greatest selling orange juice in all the world, Tropicana orange juice. 50% of everything he ever earned went to the Lord. People thought, that's crazy. That's crazy. 50% of everything he ever earned. That's, that was what he gave because he had a heart. Wanted to give. We find that there's one other name that most of you will have heard of. That's R.G. Tornow, (laughs) the the earth mover, (laughs) the man that invented the great big earth moving machines. Prior to him, all the highways were still being built with men and shovels and manual labor. (laughs) Again, he lost everything. He came back from the service part of the business. It was a, it was a car dealership, <laughs> but the guy that he was partnership with he wasn't a Christian. Alcohol became a problem. He ended up getting out of the business, but being five thousand dollars in debt <laughs> when he got out. He went on. He did a lot of things. You can read his you can read his book, his life story. Find that there came a point when the Great Depression hit. Came a point when that I guess that the one of the the I guess you'd call him a, a security company that had underwritten one of the big jobs, great big jobs that he had for something like $100,000 that he went bust. And he owed all this money. And so this company sent in an accountant to sit there to, to work out the books for him. Well, Trinnell said, you know, that this guy thought he was absolutely crazy when he said that, well, last year, see... He already paid his tithes. He always paid his tithes. But he said, last year, I made a $5,000 commitment to my church for missions. And he said, I'm going to honor that. Well, <laughs> there's two things happened there almost simultaneously. One, this company had told him that he had to work seven days a week in order to pay this back. He said, as a Christian, I can't work on the Lord's Day. <laughs> So he refused to work Sundays. The guy came down with the specific purpose of shutting him down and taking everything he had. Nobody could understand why he changed his mind when he got there. He was determined to honor this $5,000 commitment that he had made to missions. I jotted down somewhere here. I've gotten so off track to, <laughs> to the notes that uh, that I had. But... During the years of the uh, Great Depression, immediately following all this that he was going through, we find that in 1932, his net profit was $52,000. In 1934, it went up to $340,000. In 1938, it went up to $1.5 million. He made this statement because his wife came to him. Now, do you, th- you think that people think you're crazy? For giving God the first fruits, and then giving beyond that because you so desire? Well, it was his wife that put the thought in his head because God began to bless. When he honored a commitment to the Lord that came before his own personal needs, and when he chose to put the Lord first on the Lord's day, when they tried to force him to work, and God blessed him so much. And his wife, Evelyn, I think her name was, came in, which says, said, R.G. said, why don't we turn this thing around? Why don't we give God 90% and us live on 10%? He said, 10% of what we're earning now is far more than we've ever had in our life. It's like 1935. To the day he died, that's what they started doing. He gave 90% of everything that he made to the Lord's work. And he lived on 10%. You see, all I'm saying is, today in our world, even some of these same companies are owned by these multinational conglomerates now. But many of them became what they did because of men that honored God, that not only gave him the first fruits, but went well beyond that the giving of their free will. You see in Exodus, and we don't have time to turn back there, but you'll find that when Moses went to them for the building of the first tabernacle for God, you'll find over and over and over that they brought of a willing heart. In other words, they were doing what they wanted to do. I, I want you to get this. I'm not here today. I don't want you to do anything that you don't want to. I don't want you to give to God what you don't want to. I want you to love God so much that God can honestly do through you what you can't do for yourself, what is beyond you being able to do. God can do much more than what you can do. See, (laughs) I've told you before, I'd love to experience what Moses experienced there. When Moses asked the people, to bring and of a willing heart they brought and of a willing heart and of a willing heart and they they kept bringing and they kept bringing until finally Moses had to stand up and say, "Stop! We can't use all this. We've got more than we need. You gotta quit being so generous. You have gotta quit giving to the Lord." I've never known i I've known a lot of preachers and a lot of pastors, but I've never heard that sermon preached yet. <laughs> Quit giving. We got too much. We don't know what to do with all of it. You're being too generous. You see, that's the God that we serve. The God that does beyond as this grace that we saw happening in this this church here. God, we need to begin by simply loving enough to truly give him the first fruits. And then... We need to love him enough. You know, there's so many things, but I've said before that we try to think about the love of God. People are always asking these questions about, well, if God loves so much, why all this misery in the world? Why did God teach us to do this and do that? And then he himself sits back and watches all this suffering. You know, Why didn't God just create us to where... Couldn't happen that way. You know, God could have built the first computer in the Garden of Eden. He could have programmed it to where it would never, ever do anything wrong. He could have programmed it to where it would never do anything to hurt anybody. How many of you love your computers today? Most of us will slip our hands up, yeah, I love them, but no, you don't really. Not really love your computer. We use that word so so loosely, and guess what? Your computer doesn't love you. You like a lot of the things it does, and you may not want to live without it. But you see, it can never, ever express or feel emotion. That's an impossible thing. And you know, God could have chosen to use a machine to do all the giving. But I promise you today, no joy could have ever been known. God created us. In such a way, he created us in his own image. He created us to know, and, and most of the time it's, it's fear. How could these people that were in such deep poverty, how could they be begging these people to take their gifts? Please, they don't have money to put food on the table, but they're begging to help somebody else. Why? Why? It was because of what they loved. It all comes back to that. It was because they had given the Bible says clearly first of all themselves to God and to others. You see that's God's love. That's the kind of love that God wants to see in each and every one of us. Those free will offerings We'll make all the difference in the world. But we find that, again, I've got it somewhere in there. <laughs> I've heard it in different ways, but I read the story. God created us in his image. Nobody has ever loved and given as much as God. But we were created to give. We were created to act like God acts to work in his image. Most of you may have seen birds before. <laughs> the story of the, the three birds that were sitting on the limb. And of course, as you watched, and this is what happens, sometimes it'll happen from the nest. Sometimes it'll happen from a tree branch. But you see that, that parent, that mother bird, or that father bird that just kind of begins to push the birds along to the edge. <laughs> Get a little bit further, push them along to the edge, a little bit further. Guess what? Suddenly they get to the edge and one falls off. And as it falls off, it's falling towards maybe the the lake below or whatever, but before it ever hits that water, before it ever hits the ground, it'll start flying. Why? That parent wasn't afraid to push that bird off because that bird has feet. It can walk. You ever seen a bird that couldn't walk? (laughs) bird has talents to hang on to that board the bird pushes the second bird, gets it along, gets it along boom, falls off the end because it's created to fly, that's what birds do there's always a stubborn one in every crowd There. <laughs> she gets that third one along there and just as she's about to push him off he lets go just enough that he falls upside down. And he's hanging on to that branch. <laughs> and he's not gonna let go. <laughs> You're not gonna get me off of here. I'm right where I'm at. I'm secure right here. Well, the bird starts peck, 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 pecking on those talons, pecking on those talons. Till eventually the pain becomes so much he lets go. And he falls. And guess what? Before he hits the bottom, he starts flying as well. The mother, the father, never had a doubt. You see, God doesn't doubt. God knows what you can God knows. God knows that you were created to give. That bird could walk around all day long, but it, it wouldn't be much, much of a bird if it didn't fly. <laughs> he could sit on the limbs and hang on all day long, but that's not what he was created for. You see a bird in his beauty when he's flying, when he's soaring. You see, he's telling us here, when you see real love, when it's in action, when you care more about God and more about others than about yourself. Now, there's a lot of principles here in chapters 8 to 10. And some of those things, you know, you need to go read them for yourself. But what we are doing, and we'll look at this a little bit more this evening, for those of you that want to be back <laughs> But you see what they did? <laughs> he's using this church at Macedonia as an example to the church at Corinth. And he's telling them, look, what you promised a year ago, do it. <laughs> they had made a commitment. And it was the fulfilling of that commitment that came through. Kind of like we find back some of those illustrations that we had talked about before. <laughs> kind of like that commitment that our teacher now had made kind of like that commitment. It's a biblical commitment that we make. And you know what? I don't want you to dare promise God something that you're not going to go through with. But what I'm saying is this, what we're talking about is our heart condition. I don't want you to give grudgingly. I want, you know, you know, you know, the, the joy that they gave with there in the church when it's reading this, this in Corinthians, They gave hilariously. (laughs) They were so happy about giving that when Andrew came around collecting the offering, they're just just absolutely rolling with laughter because they're, they're so joyful to be able to give to the Lord. I want your heart to be in such a place that you'll do, first of all, what these people did in giving God yourself. Give God yourself. And then... Give God your first fruits. You know, again, you're not going to go to hell if you don't. You're not going to suddenly, you know, experience the horrible curses of hell if you don't. God did tell the people in Malachi, prove me. Prove me. If I won't just raise the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings that you're not able to stand. God says prove it. If you're really love him give him your first fruits give him your tithe free will offerings that's what they were doing when they were doing everything to their power they said, look I want to it's like these men have done when they get 25, 50, 90 <laughs> see I'm not telling you you got to do it no it's not by commandment it's in your heart do you really care about the other people and about God and then thirdly Faith promise. That's what they were giving. That was a commitment they were making beyond theirs. Most of us never get there because if we are faithful with our first fruits, we're still calculating what we're going to give to the cause of missions by what I can do and what I can afford and what I can't afford, how much money I've got, what God can really have out of that. But I'm talking about they got to the point where they didn't have to give. And then they were giving out of that. That's when you come to the point to where you truly, by faith, you're doing what God wants you to do, that you can't do yourself. We'll talk more about that this evening, how you can do the impossible, how you can do that which you cannot do. That makes sense? Yeah, what God will do through you. But this morning, where's your heart? Where's God? First of all, do you know and believe the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you part of his family? God wants to do great and wonderful and mighty things through you. And I'm not ashamed one bit to stand here today and say, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to. This life is nothing without him. No, it's not a bed of roses and everything's perfect. But when he's in your life, when he's living in you, there's nothing in all the world to compare to that. But Christian, does Christ live in you? Well, don't look around and see the needs of others and not care about that and say that it's the love of God that lives in you. No. God's love doesn't act that way. How much do you love? How much do you trust God? And I'm encouraging you because I know, I know that God can do beyond anything that you could even possibly imagine. And it's something we all have to do. And I promise you this, Nothing ever becomes stronger without exercise. You exercise your faith. You exercise your little bit of faith when it comes to putting your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. You exercise that faith. We love the grace that saves us from sin. Well, this is grace. This is God doing through you, through this church, what we can't do, what we don't deserve to do, but God doing what God alone can do. Father, Lord, we know that this message this morning has been different from the standpoint, Lord. I've not even done a very good job of sticking to the points as I had them laid out, but Lord, you know that I've truly tried to speak from my heart what you've dealt in my heart to help us to grasp and understand, Lord, that what we need is to care more. What we need is to love more. Lord, it's not that you want us to give what we don't feel good about giving. Lord, that's not what you want from us. It's not that we need to work on the giving when we're not wanting to give. We just need to work on the loving. <laughs> help us, Lord. Help us if there are things in our lives that is coming before you. Help us to get you in that rightful place. That's some of the things that we looked at, looked at in recent weeks. Lord, we pray that you would be the first love in our lives, not just a love. Father, we pray today. Lord, I pray earnestly that though this has not been a salvation message as such, Lord, that it all begins with our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the only way that we can be made into the creation that you want us to be, with him dwelling in us. So, Lord, I pray today for anyone here that hasn't experienced that. Only you can do that work in their life. Speak to them, show them how much you love them, Father, for each and every Christian, Lord, help them not to feel like they've got to give anything grudgingly. Just, Lord, help us to get our hearts in the right place. Help us to practice giving you the first fruits. You get the first, not what's left over. Help us, Lord, to practice by giving free willingly from our love, from from our hearts, Lord, that which we can give from our abundance or sacrificially or whatever, but it's help us to do all that we can do because we want to. And then, Lord, help us. Help us to have the faith, to go beyond ourselves, not for ourselves, not for our prosperity. Lord, that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ might get to the regions beyond. Help us, Lord, to follow the example of this Macedonian church. Help us, Lord, to give ourselves to you completely, to do all we can, and then to see you do what's beyond us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.